welcome. Look at 1 Corinthians 12 with me, verse 12. For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. Father, I thank you for this morning and for the privilege we have to look at the Word of God. God, thank you for a service in which we can just remember mums. And God, my heart yearns to do so many more things. And God, we are restricted in some ways. And God, I pray that you would, though, see the restricted lifted as far as looking at the Word of God. And God, there's freedom in Christ. There's freedom in the Word of God. And God, this morning I pray that you would bless the service, bless the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God. I pray that you would help us this morning to truly to magnify Christ, to lift you up. And I pray that you would please help us to see the incredible opportunity you give to the church. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. The human body is awesome. David said it this way in Psalms 139, verse number 14. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul right well. Our bodies are incredibly complex and so incredibly wondrous in their creation. It is amazing how we, after all these years, are still learning and discovering new things about the body. We often, as we think about the human body, we think about the physical components in which we see and, of course, interact with uh, on an everyday basis. We think of an arm or a leg. We think of a hand or the fingers that we use to move a pen or a pencil across a piece of paper or to, of course, type on a keyboard. We think of maybe the foot or the toes. We think of maybe the eye or the torso. We think of maybe the heart the lungs or the stomach and some of us think of our stomach very much and uh some of us highly think of those very very well uh nothing like a good salad right brother john and uh we enjoy that very much you know there's something incredible about all the things in which god gives us and we look at all the components of the body but may i remind us that we can go even deeper than just the hand or the foot We can go deeper than just a heart or a lung, but we can look at the incredible marvel of all that makes us us. Our body is so complex and so wondrous that if you take it all the way down to the cellular level, there are, I did some research this week and there's different differing numbers on this, but there's an average in which I've been seeing that there are about 30 trillion, not million, not billion, but 30 trillion cells that make up our body. That's an incredible thing. That's a lot of cells sitting here this morning, amen? Trillions and trillions of cells. How incredible it is how wondrous it is that God would make us so complex and yet so diverse and yet one body. I love how David reminds us in Psalms 139, verse number 16, just a couple of verses after the previous verse, he says, thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book are, uh, and, and in thy book all my members 
were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. Think about this for just a moment. David said God had written down every single part of David's members before he even existed, before he was even conceived in the womb. God had written down every cell of David's body. What an incredible thing it is. God loves you so much that he has every cell in your body, all your members recorded in a book most of my sermons are about a thousand words in length you say pastor there's many more without a thousand words i can show you the notes uh now it's just notes and of course i elaborate and go on rabbit trails and go there so it ends up being many more than a thousand but every every week i have about a thousand to two thousand words in my notes that i preach from it takes up page after page after page. Could you imagine 30 trillion? And that continually changes because our cells, some die and are shed and are replaced. God has them all written down. Every single one. How incredible is our God? No wonder Jeremiah pen the words in jeremiah 1 5 when he says before i formed thee in the belly i knew thee god sees life in the womb the very moment we are conceived life begins according to god how incredible it is that when we are conceived and when we are still in our mother's womb, God has every cell recorded. He has everything written down. Nothing goes past the record keeping of our God. The Lord just did not see a glob of cells when you or I were in, in the womb, but rather he saw you. He saw me. You were recorded. You were no mistake. There was nothing that happened by accident. There's no cell out of place that God did not intend for it to be placed exactly where your body is or where it is in your body. Everything is according to God. Everything is according to his plan. How incredible our God is. Paul reminds us of the miraculous nature of our body. In our text this morning in 1 Corinthians 12, verse number 12, notice how Paul describes it. For as the body is one and hath many members. Spoke of that. We're one body, but we have many members. We have many parts to each and every single one of us. And all the members of that one body, being, member, uh, being many, are one body. What does Paul say? Paul says, in case you didn't understand that one body has many members, many members make up one body. He was saying such in a case in which it was very clear, we are many components, many cells, 30 trillion cells, and yet these 30 trillion cells that are standing before you, as ugly as they may be, uh, they make up one body. Thank God for that. Thank God that he truly has placed us and has made us and we still, yet many members are still yet one. And God, and God uses through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to Paul our bodies as an illustration of the trillions of members to illustrate the body of Christ. I want you to see first and foremost this morning that the church is Christ's body. Look at the last phrase of verse number 12 once again. So also is Christ. So what is Paul saying? Paul's saying there is a body that Christ has. And it's many members. And yet it's one. Christ, or Paul is teaching that Christ has a body and many members make up that one body and yet that body is one. What does that mean? How can we reconcile this? Look at Ephesians chapter 1 with me, please. I'm going to do a little bit of Bible study as we 
teach through this, and I want to put some illustrations together here in just a moment to help us to clarify some things in our heart and mind. In Ephesians chapter 1, notice what the Bible says in verse number 15. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward, who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And we'll stop there for just a moment. What is Paul stating as he's greeting the church in Ephesus? As he greets this church, he reminds them of their salvation. He reminds them of their faith in Christ, that it was by their faith in Jesus Christ that brought them into the family of God. And because they are part of the family of God, God is giving them wisdom. He's giving them knowledge. He's helping them to grow and to mature in Christ. And they are, as they mature in Christ, he says, we have a common goal, the common approach. And that, of course, is to glorify our savior to lift him up god lifts up his son he lifts him up above any principality above any ruler on this earth he lifts him up above anything else there is nothing stronger than our lord jesus christ and as he continues notice how he finishes in ephesians chapter 15 or 1 verse uh, verse number 22 and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him that filleth all in all the bible tells us that christ has a body it's called the church the church is christ's body at this time There are many local churches that believe the gospel around the world. Jesus identifies these local churches in Scripture. Go with me quickly to Revelations chapter 2 with me, please. In Revelations chapter 2, I want you to see this very thought. Sometimes we can take a principle and we can apply a principle in a time in which God clarifies a differentiating differentiating between the two. And let me explain that in just a moment. Revelations chapter two, look at what the Bible says in verse number one. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus. We just read from the book of uh, from the book of Ephesians, addressing that very church. This is later. This is after the ministry of Paul, as the book of Revelations, of course, is being revealed to John and recorded through the inspiration of the Spirit of God. God addresses the church of Ephesus. It's part of the church, but a church that is a locality in Ephesus. Look at verse number eight with me, please. And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna. Here again, here again is a church, a local church that is in the locality of Smyrna. Look at verse number 12 with me, please. And unto the angel of the church in Pergamos. So again, we're seeing Jesus addressing the third church here. He addresses, of course, Ephesus, Smyrna, and now Pergamos. Local churches that... Uh, that Paul, or excuse me, that Jesus Christ addresses himself. Look at verse number 18 in the same chapter. And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira. So here again, we see another local church that Jesus Christ addresses. Look at verse number one of chapter three. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis. So here's a fifth 
church, a fifth locality, a local church meeting in Sardis. Look at verse number seven. And unto the angel of the church in Philadelphia, look at verse number 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. So here we see in chapters two and three in Revelations, Jesus Christ himself pointing out the church or church is in their local area, in their local places. Over and over again, we see throughout scripture that God has local churches for the time. There was a church in Jerusalem. There was a church in Antioch. There was a church in Corinth. There was a church in uh, 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 in Philippi and on and on. We can go throughout the many churches that the Bible records, many local churches. And at this time, there are many local churches. We make up a part of the Bible of Christ here in Scalmersdale. We make up, yea, a local church here in this area. And God has devised and has planned local churches throughout the world to be reaching their communities for the gospel's sake. Scalmersdale needs the gospel. And he put and built a local church here to reach what? Our community with the gospel. God has uh, uh, started a church in Preston years ago. And thank God for our friends, the Salts, doing a wonderful job preaching the gospel. God needed a church in Preston and put a church there. In Blackpool, Victory Baptist Church. uh, In Barrie, Bible Baptist Church. And Norris Green, on and on we can go. All the different churches that are around that are reaching their local communities. And thank God for the local churches that God gives to help and to meet the needs of the local people. We cannot ever take away, we do never want to take away from the local church because God tells us to go to the local church to help care and to help meet and to help uh, get even matters settled. It's incredible how God has made a local church to reach their community. But one day, God is going to take all the saints, past, present, and unless he comes back at this very moment, future, all those who believe and he is going to gather. When that trump of God shall sound, something's going to take place. All saints will be gathered with him in the clouds. And at that moment there will be one church, one unified church. Right now, we're a little fragmented, so to speak. We're here, we're there. All those who are preaching the same gospel have the same DNA. We have the same Savior. He is the head of this church, just like he is the head of Bible Baptist Church in Barrie, just like he's the head of Victory Baptist Church in Black like he's the head of Wycliffe, just like he's the head of Norris Green. He's the head of each church. And one day he's going to assemble all his saints together and he will truly have the preeminence among all saints. The Bible tells us, notice what the Bible says in verse number 18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. And one day we will be gathered with him. One day we will enjoy a wonderful, wonderful relationship with God personally as he is our prophet, priest, and king. Hallelujah for that day. Hallelujah for that time in which we will have a perfect example. We look at the church today and there's a lot of imperfect examples among the church, but I'm thankful that the head of the church isn't a man, but it's rather Jesus Christ. And one day we will and one day we'll get to hear from his own lips. We'll get to hear the instruction that he has for us each and every single time. Yes, we have the word of God, but what a wonderful thing it will be to have Jesus Christ expand and expound and teach us the very word of truth as the word of truth. One, what, a, what a wonderful thing that will be to have the prince of preachers truly, the king of all preachers truly being our wonderful, uh, wonderful physical example for all of us. Of eternity god truly has many members in the church 
And yet there's one body. And that will be one day. One day, the church will be unified and we will truly rejoice with him once again. Some take this today as a thought of a universal church. The Bible doesn't speak that. The Bible says one day we will gather together as one church, those who are saved, who have been born again, children of God. But at this time, we have many localities. It's hard to go to the church if it's an invisible church. (laughs) It's hard to speak with invisible people that aren't there. (laughs) God says we're supposed to encourage the brethren. How can you encourage someone who isn't there? So God establishes the local church, and one day we will all be local with him. And what a thing, what a day that will be. Secondly, this morning, I want us to see the welcoming into the church. Look at what the Bible tells us in verse number 13, please. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free. I want us to picture this this morning. I'm going to ask for some help this morning. If I could use your family, Stu, that would be a blessing. I'll use you and your boys. All right, you guys ready? They're looking like, really? Do I need to? Yes, you have to. It's written in stone. You'll do it. All you got to do is stand there. Can you stand? Okay, can you stand, Liam? Can you stand? Okay, all right, so I'm going to use your help. All right, so I'm going to ask Stu, if you would, come over and join over to the left. And Liam, would you stand next to your dad? And then Connor, would you stand next to Liam, please? And so just stand all here in a line. I've used this illustration over the years, uh, but it's been a long time. And uh, I want us to see together, especially for those who might be watching who do not know Christ as Savior. I want to put this together here this morning. The Bible teaches us, God has made man. Notice what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1. Look at what the Bible says in verse number 26. And God said, let us make man in our image. The Bible teaches us that God made man in his image. What does that mean? That means we are made after God. And yet three parts. We are a triune individuals. Each of us are triune. If I can allow Brother Stu to represent this morning the body. And uh, uh, I wish I had a better representation of a body, but it's there, amen? And uh, uh, I'll be nice. Your mom's sitting in the front row, and so I'll be nice. I'll stop there. And uh, <laughs> But represents Stu as the body. But the Bible tells us not only we are, the Bible says we are a soul. The Bible says God breathed into us the breath of life and man became a living soul. I'm going to allow Liam to represent the soul this morning. And so Stuart is the body, Liam is the soul. The Bible tells us that we are also a spirit. The Bible says we are body, soul, and spirit like God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We have a body, a soul, and I'm going to allow Connor to represent spirit. And the Bible teaches us that God has made us in his image. One person and yet three parts. We are a triune being. The Bible tells us that man was made not only in the likeness or the image of God, but notice how it continues in verse number 26. After our this is so vital and so important is god alive or dead that was pretty weak is god alive or dead alive Alive, amen he's alive on his throne he is uh he is never changing he is always the victorious living god and we're thankful for that this morning and so as we think about that and as we think about our living God, we are made in the likeness of God and that was, or Adam and Eve were made, excuse me, in the likeness of God. What does that mean? Well, he was a living body. How do we know that? Have you ever tried to work in your garden while you're physically dead? That's pretty hard, amen? 
unless you're the fertilizer. <laughs> reminds me of a story of someone posted during this lockdown and uh, uh, of just a of future events of uh, a couple wives getting together and uh, talking for tea and as they're speaking of tea she begins to talk about uh, her husband and this uh, wife says where is your husband I haven't seen him around the house where is he and uh, she says you need to go out to the garden to look for your for my husband and so she goes to the back and she looks out and she sees in the garden doesn't see a thing like where is he you said go in the garden and look for your husband I don't see him anywhere and she says, you got to dig six feet down. <laughs> You'll find it. <laughs> and so unless you're six feet in the ground, amen, he didn't survive lockdown. And, uh, <laughs> and so, uh, so unless you're six feet under, you truly are a living body. And truly Adam and Eve were living bodies. The Bible says he was a living soul. So his tells us that he was spiritually alive. How do we know he was spiritually alive? How do we walk with God? We walk with God with our spirit. Our spirit is vital. And Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the evening. They were alive, body, soul, and spirit. They were alive and well until something happened, until something took place. Let's continue reading in verse number, in chapter, uh, j- chapter 1 here this morning. The Bible says, After our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fa- fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And so Adam and Eve were alive. They were alive, body, soul, and spirit but watch this, something happened, something took place. The Bible teaches us that when they chose to disobey and to eat of that fruit, something happened, something took place. The Bible teaches us that sin brings death. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So the Bible teaches us the very first time in which sin entered into the world, death entered into the world. What does that mean? Did Adam just suddenly fall over dead physically? No, he did not. He was still alive. How do we know that? Because he hid from God. Again, it's pretty hard to hide if you're dead. He was alive. Not only was he alive in his body but he was alive in his soul what is the soul it's what makes me me and you you it's how we communicate with one another it's how we talk and interact with each other adam and eve talked together they conspired to make themselves close and to hide themselves from god their soul did not die but the bible says death enters when sin enters the picture so what happened if his body didn't die and if his soul didn't die, spiritually, Adam and Eve died. Connor, I need you to die. <laughs> Go ahead, man. Lay on out there. You're going to sit, oh, sit down. I wanted you to stretch out and just start taking a... No, you can sit there. That's fine. Uh, I'm not going to make you lay on the floor. Okay. So... <laughs> So spiritually, he died. Spiritually, death entered the picture. And the Bible teaches us this. Now watch this. Please don't miss this. This is how we are born. Go to Genesis chapter 5, verse number 3. I'm going to use you in just a minute, Connor, so don't get comfortable down there. Genesis chapter 5, verse number 3. Notice what the Bible says. And Adam lived in hundred and 30 years and begat a son notice this statement in his own likeness in his own likeness the bible teaches us that when adam and eve sinned their children are no longer born in the image of god and in the likeness of god but he was born still in the image of god but he was now born in the likeness of adam What does that mean? That means when he was born, he was born with a sin problem. He was born spiritually dead. 
And when one is spiritually dead, the relationship with God and man is severed. It's broken. It cannot, it cannot, uh, uh, that relationship cannot be had until something takes place spiritually. This is so important to understand. I want to try to illustrate this as best as we can because often we miss this. We think it's just a simple good work or a good deed or a simple trying to outweigh my good, uh, uh, bad deeds with good things. And the Bible teaches us that we spiritually must be born again. We must have the Spirit of God to, be, uh, to, uh, to bring us into the family of God. We are born spiritually with a problem. But then something happens. We hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just like Adam and Eve heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. How do we know that? Well, the Bible teaches us that Adam and Eve were clothed with coats of skin. Adam and Eve were taught about the altar and the sacrifice. And it was illustrated for them in the Garden of Eden. God showed them what the sacrifice would be in order for them to be redeemed there had to be blood shed there had to be a price paid and the bible teaches us that adam and eve had a choice they had a choice just like you and i have a choice we can choose to reject god or we can choose to receive christ as savior the bible says in romans chapter 6 verse number 23 notice what this bible says here for the wages of sin is death and we've talked about that when sin entered in the picture But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So when Adam and Eve chose to receive Christ as Savior, just like when we choose to receive Christ as Savior, something happens, something takes place. We are born into the family of God. When we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, when we trust Him and by faith accept Him as our only hope of eternal life. The Holy Spirit does something that only the gospel can do. That only does something which the power of God can do. What does he do? What does the Holy Spirit do? Look at Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible says, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. And then we come to this glorious verse in verse number five, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. What does Paul teach us here? He tells us how how being born again happens. The Holy Spirit of God, as we believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, as we recognize that he is the one that died for our sins, and he is the one, God himself, who paid the price for us and victoriously rose again when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that he is the Savior and we ask him to be our Savior, something takes place. The Holy Spirit quickens us. That word quickens means Make alive. Stu's a living body. He can't be living again bodily. The soul is alive. So it can't be made alive again because it's already alive. There's only one option left, the spirit. And when God quickens our spirit, the spirit that is dead does what? Is made alive. I need you to live again, amen? Uh, Would you come and would you join your brother and father? Thank you. And so suddenly, look what happens. He's alive, body, soul, and spirit. And when the spirit is alive, the relationship with God that was broken is now united. We are born again into the family of God 
and we are made new. We are given new DNA. It is incredible at how God truly quickens our spirit and we are born into the family of God. What a powerful God we have. If you are saved this morning, you are a living body, soul, and spirit. How incredible it is that God redeems us and repairs that relationship that is broken. But the Holy Spirit is not done. And we're going to go back to 1 Corinthians 12. I want you to see this picture. Please don't forget this picture because we're about ready to see how, what the Holy Spirit does next. We just mentioned that we are, born into the, we are born into the family of God. Now what happens here? Notice what the Bible says in verse number 13 in our text again. For by one Spirit are we all baptized. That word baptized is immersed. Let me ask you a question. When you were born, were you immersed into a completely new environment? You were in your womb, in, in, in your mother's womb. And when you were born, you were born into the culture, the atmosphere, and truly the family that God ordained you to be a part of. It was all new. You were immersed in it. You were covered in it. There was no escaping it. You were brought into a family, immersed into a family, covered into a lifestyle, a culture, and an atmosphere that makes up your family. That's what the Holy Spirit of God does. Notice it says, we are all baptized into one body. Let's picture here for just a moment. Floor here outside of the platform being in lost condition. And let's picture church here as being up here on the platform, just for sake of illustration. And so when Stuart gets saved, when he got saved, God not only redeemed or quickened his spirit and brought him into the family of God, but God immerses Stuart, immerses us into what? Into one body. What? The church. Every saint one day will be part of a church. If they are saved, born again, they may never enter the doors of a church. And we're not going to go down the road of whether or not they're saved. That's between them and God. I don't know the heart. I do wonder, though, at those who have no heart or desire to be a part of church, if salvation what did come in, it does leave some questions, but ultimately it's between them and the Lord. However, God tells us that when we get saved, God makes us part of his body. Speaking of what will take place when we are raptured and when the church is called together, and when we will ever be with the Lord. So what happens? The moment they get saved, Stuart and boys, if you would, go up and stand where your dad normally would sit, stand there. God brings, immerses, or brings that individual into what? Into the church, as we picture the church as the platform area here. As we speak of this area, he brings us into it, and truly, we are now part of day a local a local assembly in heaven with our savior does that make sense to you this morning god baptized immerses us he brings us into an environment will it be new absolutely but it will truly be an incredible thing in which we will enjoy all uh, all of eternity with him. that's why the bible tells us whether we be jews or gentiles no matter what culture you come from, no matter what ethnicity you come from, God brings all into his family. Some here said you need to pray to take this verse and say, well, you need to be praised, a pray to be baptized by the Spirit of God. Then how do we deal with that verse? Are we all, 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 I don't pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the baptism of the Spirit of God is given to me when I am born again. 
brought into a new family. I'll be part of his body, the local church, uh, uh, one day with him. And Lord willing, before then, I get to have a taste of that here in the local church that he gives us to prepare us for what he has for us one day in eternity. But until then, God reminds us and assures us that all who are saved are brought into the body of Christ. God is not going to forget anyone who puts his faith and trust in Christ. All are immersed. All are brought into the environment in which God prepares for us one day. What an incredible God we have. And what encouraging thing that is. Sad it is that as Paul speaks of Jews and Gentiles, Paul had to reaffirm, look, this is Jew and Gentiles, and how sad it is today that these nearly 2,000 years later, we have to remind ourselves that it's the Jews also. I've heard some false teaching that the Jews cannot be saved now. Argue with the scripture here. God says if they're saved, they're into the family of God. They're into the church of God. They're into the body of Jesus Christ. All God says. All Jew and Gentile alike. Paul had to tell him the Jews, look, the Gentiles are part of this too. Now, years later, we're on the other extreme. And we've got to remind ourselves continually that the Jews are part of this. Jew and Gentile. Remember, when Paul addressed, addressed this church in Corinth, he was not addressing a very spiritual church. He was addressing a carnal church. So if the false teaching and, uh, of you need to pray for the baptism of the Spirit of God applied to the church in Corinth, we ought to be wondering how carnal, how, how the Holy Spirit of God can work in the carnality of that way. God truly tells us that we are baptized into one body, whether we Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free. That word bond means someone who is, uh, uh, who is enslaved, but not enslaved like we think of slave, but rather a servant, whether serving someone or an employee of someone, or you're free, or you are the employer instead of the employee. Whether, no matter what social spectrum you fit on, no matter what your situation is, Paul reminds us that all are brought into that body of Christ. What a glorious thing it is that God brings us in and makes for us a place in his church. Local and future. Thank God for that. What an incredible God we have that has a place for you and, you and me. Here and with him. He's preparing us now for what will be in the future. What a God we have. He loves us. He loves you. And thank God we can be a part of that. Thank you. You can be seated. I appreciate that. Thank you, boys, for letting me use. That was painless, wasn't it? <laughs> painless. Right afterwards, I'll pay you double what I paid you before the service, okay? If that's okay. And uh, what is that? Zero times zero, or zero times two is what? 34, right? And, uh, you know, the Bible teaches us that God brings us into one body, the local church. But then notice what this last phrase says in verse number, uh, verse number 13 once again. And have all been made to drink into one spirit. This is an incredible thought right here. I love this. Quickly, let's look at John chapter 7. I'm almost done. What does that mean? Absolutely nothing, but it sounds good, amen? No, I am truly about done here this morning, so let's get, look just a couple verses here and we'll be, and we'll be and we'll close this, this morning. The Bible says in the last day, John 7, verse number 37, excuse me, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. 
God says, when you come to me for salvation, I'm going to give you living water. Speaking of the Spirit, the Spirit of God is going to do a work in our lives. As we come to God for salvation and become born again, and he brings us into uh, the church, God does such an incredible thing, and that he changes our as we think and Paul speaks of the human body. There's a basic unit in every cell, the 30 trillion cells in our body. Each cell comes complete with a copy of the master plan that controls its particular function in the body. That blueprint we often call the code of life is carried in large chemical molecules known as D. DNA. It is the DNA that tells the cellular components how to behave. It is this code that makes us different from everyone else. Our DNA is unique. God brings us into his family and he gives us a unique DNA. It comes from that living water, the Holy Spirit of God. Paul speaks of this DNA change in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In verse number 17, he says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So when we are saved and born again into the family of God, God makes us a new creature. All things will be new, including our fleshly body. Our flesh will be made new and we'll be given a glorified body. No more aches, no more pain, no more death, no more disease. We will be made completely new. How incredible that will be. But God makes and puts a new creation, a new creature in us. He gives us what? A new DNA a new spiritual DNA to operate with. And just as the DNA tells us and guides us where to function and how to function and what our role is, such is the living water. Such is that one that we come to and we seek for guidance as the Holy Spirit guides and leads and directs. We have that one spirit that comes from the head of what? The one, the, uh, the one head, Jesus Christ himself, and the Holy Spirit of God leads, guides, and directs, and teaches and places us exactly where God wants us to be placed and prepares us for that exact operation in which God has prepared us to uh, 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 to work and to grow and to mature in. God puts it all together. Why? Because he is the head of the church and the Holy Spirit makes us a new creation, a new creature that is truly prepared and is being prepared for what God has for us. How incredible is our God? He gives us a spiritual DNA following the leadership or the headship of Jesus Christ. But along with the DNA, and this is just incredible how God makes our body and then uses our body to help us to identify and to understand the principles of Scripture. God teaches and guides us through His living water, through that one Spirit where he wants us and how he wants us to be and what direction he wants us to go and leads, guides, and directs. But notice along with the DNA that we have studied and we are continuing to study, there are companion molecules called RNA that decipher the code in the DNA so that the various parts that make up the body can be built. So we have a code frame we have a code that goes throughout all of our body. And that code is then interpreted or deciphered or applied through the RNA. So that way the cell that is supposed to be on my fingertip does what a fingertip is supposed to be instead of doing what the heart does on my fingertip. Does that make sense? That's what the Holy Spirit of God does. The Holy Spirit of God 
teaches us and guides us and prepares us for where he wants us to be in the body. The Bible tells us in John chapter 14, verse number 26, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. So what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit teaches us what the DNA that we have from God the Father quickened by the holy spirit in us and the holy spirit teaches us how to apply that i look at scripture and i say okay i believe in god now he wants me to read his word and so i look and the holy spirit says get in the word of god read it study it memorize it learn it hear it and i begin following and the holy spirit of god helps me to apply it helps me to see how he wants me to grow and to flourish but as paul speaks of context here of the church this doesn't go just to personally as far as our personal spiritual growth with the lord as we mature in christ but it goes all the way into the implication and all the way into the application of the church God teaches and leads and guides and directs us into the place in which God has for us in the church. Each of us have different strengths. Each of us have different gifts, as we have seen. And God and the Holy Spirit teaches us and guides us and shows us how we can be a part of the church, our local church now, preparing us, I believe, for the church to come. And as he teaches and guides us, he prepares us. He equips us. He helps us to find our place in the local New Testament church. How great is our God? He brings us to drink from the living waters of that one spirit. The spirit of God equips us, molds us, changes us. Your place is important. Don't let the devil ever get you to a point in which you think that you're not important in a local church. You are vital to the church. You are so vital. If you're a born-again child of God, you are a vital part of the church. You are a vital part of your local church. Don't let Satan ever get you to think that you're alone or that you're forgotten. That's the devil speaking. God loves you. And God has put you in a local church. And thank God for that. Let's grow and flourish together as we learn to do what? Look at what the Bible says in verse number 14. For the body is not one member, but many. As we learn to work together, and as we function in the roles in which God gives, God has a purpose and a plan. And that purpose and plan is exactly what fits what God has designed for us. You're a design of God. You're not an accident. You have a place. May I encourage you this morning to not look and say, well, there's certainly someone else could do that. Certainly someone else could be a part of that. No, no. If God's brought it to you, he's done so why? Because you're a part of the church. Part of the local assembly of believers. And one day we'll be part of that perfect church in heaven. But until then, he has a place for you. In the local assembly of believers. And I encourage you to remind yourself that you are a welcome part of the church. We have a great God. He has a place for you.